You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. I I want to share something with you guys. Many of you guys might not know this. Uh, I do a podcast. It's called Off the Cuff with Tommy Jones. Uh, I just recently finished a three-part series on doctrines that I, that I don't trust or doctrines that I'd kind of be aware of. And I would encourage you guys, if you're looking for something interesting, you just kind of grow in your faith. And I would encourage you to check that out. And you can come talk to me. I can send you the link. But there's a lot of... Um, we live in an age where a lot of people will only hear what their ears want to hear and not the truth. And so it's important to learn to spot what is truth and what's not. So I would encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, also, if you brought your Bible... Uh, I was uh, told in my staff meeting on Tuesday that when I read scripture from the Bible, I don't pause long enough for y'all to catch up with me. Uh, no one ever told me I talked fast before, so that was really groundbreaking information for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to pause a little more so that you guys can open your Bible. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 7. If you don't have it, bring it next week. We're not, we're not going to talk about Acts chapter 7 yet, but we will in a few minutes, and so you will beat me to the punch. But we're back on this series of Acts, which is where we've been for a few weeks, um, and, and, and I think it's important, there, there's some things that are really critical that we're going to learn today, and I'm excited. This will be a, l- a little more teaching than I'm normally doing, but I think, I think we'll enjoy it. If not, come back next week. But um, So the church has experienced this mountaintop moment, right? You guys remember this? Uh, where 3,000 people have come to Jesus. It's just, I mean, as, as my daughter would say, God is on the moose. I think that should be the subtitle for the book of Acts, God is on the moose. And there's all sorts of cool stuff going on. But then persecution breaks out. This is what we talked about last week. Persecution breaks out in the church. And so we need to get a little context for what's happening before we go into where we're going to go today. And so why would there be so much persecution? So this is what you got to understand. The first people who were coming to Christ, they wouldn't have considered themselves converts to Christianity. They were all Jews, all Jewish people, but the first people who came to Christ wouldn't say, I'm now a convert to Christianity. What they would say is, I am a Jew who now believes that Jesus is the Christ. I'm a Jewish person who now believes that this Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so they were Jews still, but they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They weren't called Christians yet. We're going to get into that next week. That wasn't until the church at Antioch. Right now, they're all called followers of the way. But what, so there's, there's thousands of Jews who are now following Christ, but most of the other Jewish people just consider them wayward Jews, not Christians. The Jewish religious system had been around for a long, long time, and they had been waiting for a Messiah to come. They had been waiting for a Messiah who would come like Joshua. And again, we talked about this, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. They were expecting a Messiah who would come like a soldier, and they were going to overthrow the Roman Empire. The Jewish people had been enslaved, they'd been abused, they'd been treated horribly. They thought when the Messiah came, the Messiah would come with a sword, and they would overthrow the Romans, they would own their lands, and they would become the dominant people in the world. And so that's what they're waiting on. That's what they're expecting. The whole, you know, like, lay down your life for other people thing, that didn't resonate so well. Can you imagine? The whole turn your cheek when your enemy hits you, you know, let him hit the other cheek, that didn't resonate so well. So they're waiting for a soldier Messiah. Now imagine what happens when they've been in in Hebrew life at this this place, at this point, everything revolved around the temple. 
The temple or church wasn't something optional that they just sort of went to every now and then when they had time. Like life revolved around it. The economy revolved everything. So now imagine, you know, a third of the people you're going to church with suddenly say, this dead Jewish guy is the Messiah. Well, no, they're like, this is blasphemy. What do you mean? So, so many of them didn't believe that. And most of the people who didn't believe it were the religious elites. They were the ones running the church. Because when Jesus came, he didn't spend his time with the elites. He spent his time with the outcast. And he walked around saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who mourn. And the outcasts were like, you know, the, yeah, that's us. But the elite were like, yeah, I don't, if that's blessed, I'm not sure I want it. And so, so they're living a different life. And so this persecution breaks out against Jews who were saying that Jesus was the Messiah. And so these first followers of Christ, guys, we got to understand this, they are facing incredible obstacles. By the way, this is what real persecution looks like. It's important that we remember this. Uh, there's been times in American history where I, we were all, well, Christians are being persecuted. No, this is what persecution looks like. When they are hunting you down and killing you, that's persecution. And so that, that's what's going on here. And they're not given any protection from the government. The government wasn't on their side. Uh, the Roman government was cool with you as long as you honored Caesar as God. And so now you've got this band of misfits who've been kicked out by their own church. And they're saying, we won't honor him because Yahweh is the only God and our allegiance is to Jesus. They're thrown out of their church. They're thrown out of their government. And this is life for these first Christians. And not only that, they're not really, I wouldn't say they're trying their best to just assimilate. Like, they're, they're not trying to just kind of keep their heads down and go with culture. Matter of fact, they've got one of the leaders of this new movement, and he's a guy named Stephen. And at some point, he gets up and, and says some things, and it's like, man, he wasn't exactly apologetic for his newfound faith. This is Acts chapter 7, verse 51. If you've got your Bibles, I've now given you a sufficient amount of time. He says this. You stiff-necked people. And they're like, who's he talking to? <laughs> you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. That's a funny joke. Because they're all circumcised people. And he goes, you're circumcised, but you missed your heart and your ear. And they're like, then we got to do that too? Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even, killed those who, they, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given to the angels, but you hadn't obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, that's the religious elite, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and they're yelling at the top of their voices and they all rushed him. Because this, this is blasphemy, okay guys? This is the highest insult. And they all rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is a pretty intense scene, right? 
And Stephen isn't exactly trying to make friends here. I mean, he's gone out and said, hey, listen, you're all stiff-necked, you know, which I don't really know what that means, but no one liked it. And they're, they're ganashing their teeth with a G, and it's just all sorts of stuff is happening, right? I mean, this is crazy. But this is what's going on. And there's something interesting. So, so, so they begin to stone him. And there's a little verse in here, which is where we're going to camp out today. And if you miss this, man, you miss so much of the rest of the book of Acts. You've got to get this one. It's this next verse right here. And it's, it's a, I think it was verse 58. And highlight this one in your Bible there. It said, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is something. And it's easy just to read over this, right? But this is something. Something's happening here. This is a turning point, something, something interesting. They laid their coats. Can you just keep that one up there for me? They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why would they lay their coats at the feet of Saul? Well, I, I, I was wondering that. I said, I've read this a thousand times, but I don't think I've ever stopped and said, okay, why would you lay your coat at Saul's feet? And so here, here, this is why. The, the, the Hebrew people had a book of law that had been oral tradition for forever, but eventually that was written down, and it was called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, it said that when you stone someone to death, you must strip them of their clothing. So Stephen is naked, okay? He's stripped naked, which is an incredible humiliation to a very modest people, very modest. But this is the utmost humiliation. You strip him naked, then, then you stone him to death. And then the other religious elites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the ones who will be throwing the rocks, they take their cloaks off. Well, why would they do that? Have you all seen The, the Chosen? I know I ask you this a lot. Do you remember the, the, the garb that the religious elite wear? Can you imagine trying to throw a rock with that on? So they take off their church clothes so that they can stone a sinner. They're taking off their, their suits and their ties and their church suits so that they can better leverage their rock against the sinner, right? They've left church. They take off their stuff. Not only that, blood was unclean. They didn't want blood on their church clothes. When you stoned someone, it wasn't, they weren't 100 yards away. Like you weren't, they were right here. And so in order to better stone the sinner, and in order to not get blood on their tunic, they took them off and they laid them at Saul's feet. It's interesting, isn't it? And so Luke is calling this out because he wants us to notice something. There's this new character, a new character that's going to matter to us greatly. As a matter of fact, I would say that, that through this new character uh, is one of the main reasons or one of the, the reasons that it went from a small group of Jews to 2.2 billion people worldwide. This matters. And so in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, pause so everyone can turn to that. I hear all the pages shuffling. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul, same guy, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Okay, so now, now persecution is broken out. They've killed Stephen. Now they're going for the leaders of this movement, and one of the guys who's the chief persecutor of the Christian, one of the guys who's in charge of hunting down the Christians, his name is Saul. And Saul is from a place called Tarsus. And Tarsus is, in, is a city full of pagan worship, full of idol worship. 
And so a Jew in Tarsus would have had a difficult life because you would be constantly surrounded by people who did not believe what you believed. And so Saul has grown up having to fight for his beliefs. He's grown up uh, knowing the stories of a God who has kept the nation of Israel chosen and set apart. Uh, he's, he's heard the stories, and you've heard the stories, you've read the Old Testament, of a God who often used violence to keep the nation of Israel set apart and unique. And so this is what's going through Saul's head. Now Saul hears about these people who are worshiping their Jesus, and this is an insult to him and to his God. He's angry. And, and it makes sense if you understand the world Saul has grown up in. And so now he's hunting down Christians. He's going after them. Interestingly enough, the threats and the friction didn't stop the church because the church was focused. As Saul chased them out of Jerusalem, you'll never guess where they went. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus had said, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they were like, we're just going to camp out here in Jerusalem. And then through persecution, the church actually grew. I have seen churches shrink in times of persecution. This church grew in times of persecution. They went out and did exactly what they were supposed to do. So Saul's after them. The church is growing. And, and I want to give you guys an idea of how angry Saul is. Now we're going to Acts chapter 9. I'm getting good at this. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, meanwhile, so while this is going on, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. When y'all read that, what, do you, what movie do you think about? That's right, a Christmas story. Me too. Remember when Ralphie's fighting Scott? When Ralphie's fighting Scott Farkas? That's what I think of. So, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So if he found any there who belonged to the way, this is what Christians are called, followers of the way. If he finds anyone there who belongs to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. So Saul is mad. He has an agenda. He has an agenda that he believes is good. This is a righteous agenda. This is good use of Saul's time. Everything around him would have said your agenda is good. What you're doing is good. Go get those people. And so Saul is set out on a good mission. And now he's going to go to Damascus because that's where the Christians are going. They're moving out from Jerusalem. So he's like, I'm going to chase them down. And as he's headed to Damascus to do what he believes is good, he encounters something that I believe is better. Acts 9, verse 3. As he enters Damascus on his journey... Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand to Damascus, and for three days he was blind, did not eat or did not drink anything. Okay, so Saul is going to do what he believes is good. He's going to do what society around him has told him is good. He's going to do what his family has told him is good. He's going to do a good thing. And then he's blinded on the way. He can't see anything. And I think what Luke wants you to understand is Saul has been blind his whole life. It's not just about the three days. Saul has been blind to the truth. 
He's been blind about good versus best. He's been blind about his way versus God's way. He's been blind about this Jesus thing. And so for three days, it's all stripped away from him. Can't see a thing. For three days, just him and God. Three days later, something happens. Isn't that funny? Isn't that a funny number? Three days that they would use in three days? Three days later, something happens. But, but there's a lesson here. And the first lesson, there's, there's three lessons today. And the first lesson is this. What you believe is good may not be God's best for you. And I was like, this is, as I was reading this, I was like, what, what you think is good, what we think is a good use of our time, we think is a good use of our money, we think is a good use of our resources, what we think is good time for our children, what we think is good may not be God's best. And the danger of good is it looks, guess what? Good. Doesn't it? Good always looks good good. And the problem with good is, you know what it's not? Bad. (laughs) Right? Right? We get this, right? I mean, bad is clear. But what we so often do, and what I have done, and what you have done, and what Saul, we take the world's good, and we miss out on God's best. And most of us spend most of our lives camped out in good. That's why, and and they're not here, so I can say, when Nehemiah house is here, or when people who have been through severe trauma are here, they worship so fearlessly and free because they've acknowledged bad. Most of us have lived good, so we don't really see, we don't really get it. It isn't until you wind out with nothing when you can't see a thing, then the good starts to look really good, right? The best is, ah. Oh. I, I said this so many times, like sometimes it would be better for, for more people to just have incredibly difficult America is so easy for most of us that we never realize that good is not best. And so I think that's the first lesson. Here's verse 10. Let's keep going. Verse, no, it's verse 16. Excuse me. No, it is verse 10. Pause. Pause while I figure out what I'm really going to do next. Here we go. In Damascus, oh, this is good, this is good. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. This is not the same Ananias that's, that died the other day and in, in earlier. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of, <laughs> go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. <laughs> it was a straight road. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, Ananias is a disciple. He's a follower of the way. They've heard of Saul. This is great. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard a lot about this guy. I've heard about what he's done to your people. They killed the one dude with rocks. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on you. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Raise your hand, by the way, if you're a Gentile. That's good. I've gone to proclaim your name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Okay, so there's a guy in, in Damascus named Ananias. And God goes to him. And God says, Ananias, I want you to go talk to Saul. And by the way, if you guys, Saul eventually becomes Paul. It's, one is a Hebrew name and one is a Roman name. It's the same person. It'd be like, my name is uh, Tommy in English. It might be Tomas in Spanish or something. So that's Saul versus Paul, same thing. And so he says, go, go, talk, go talk to Saul. 
and, you know, lay your hands on him. And, and Ananias is like, you, God, you, you do understand he killed my friends, right? Like, I, I don't know that that's the plan. And God's like, no, it's the plan. And so I, here's, here's what I think lesson number two is. Lesson number two is this. We don't get to decide who God wants to use. And, and, and I, I have done this and you have done this. Maybe that person on your brain, or maybe the person who you've moved away from, maybe even the person that you've encountered at church that, that you know, bothered you in some way, maybe they're not on your mind because you're supposed to be moving away from them. Maybe God is calling you to move towards them. Maybe God's actually call, calling you to move towards someone who behaves in a way that you disagree with for the purpose of loving them and modeling what life with Christ really looks like. Would it make more sense to move away? Absolutely. It would make more sense to move to the other side of the room. It would make more sense to go to a different service. A lot of things would make more sense. But maybe God's not calling you to do what makes more sense. Maybe God is calling you to do what will make the world more righteous and holy. Maybe God is calling you to go out of your way to encounter someone you've gone out of your way to avoid. Maybe. Maybe that's lesson number two. Maybe is that because Paul went to, because Ananias went to Saul, Saul's potential and power were unlocked. Very rarely does God, uh, does our little testimony of God happen in a vacuum by ourselves. Almost every one of us has a story of someone who saw something that no one else saw. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to me on the road as you were coming here, he sent me, are we cool? So that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales from Saul's eyes fell and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul, Saul, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't that the dude who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take Christians as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Ah, so Saul, who's been the greatest persecutor of the church in history... The, he's the persecutor of the way, the persecutor of Jesus' movement. Suddenly, he can see again. He goes and begins to preach. People are coming to Jesus. And while people are coming to Jesus, while watching him preach, they're like, is that dude? I saw that dude Friday night. And now he's preaching? Lesson number three. You can no longer use your past as an excuse to avoid God's plan for your future. You can no longer use your past as an excuse. You can no... Guys, this is a true story. and I'm going to edit this one because there's some children in the room, but this is true. When I first became a pastor, and my wife would vouch for this, because we'd be out like at a wedding or something, and I would see friends of mine from high school. And I, they'd be like, Jones, you know, what up? What are you doing now? <laughs> I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, no... Every single, every single time there was a two-word response and the second word I just can't use in here right now. Every single time. And they were like, there's no way that that dude is now this dude. And, and I want you to hear this. 
There was a great period of suffering in my life and mourning in my life as I mourned the death of that dude that they knew. Because I had to mourn it. And there's still times, and y'all know this, when that dude tries to get back in the mix. He's like, oh, hey, let's party. Right? And you got to push him back. And you got to fight him. But it is highly possible that God wants to do something with you today that you weren't ready for yesterday. But now God wants to do something with this person, and the world's going to say, this person can't possibly be that person. You're going to say, you're right, because that person is dead. I'm a brand new person. And you can no longer live bound by your past. It doesn't matter who you were yesterday. It doesn't matter who you were this morning. You can leave this place today and be transformed and be new. And who your parents were can't stop that. And who school said you were can't stop that. And who rehab said you were can't stop that. And who your ex-wife or ex they can't stop it. God wants to do something special, but we hide behind our past so that we don't have to embrace his promise. We hide behind it. I can't possibly because blah, blah, blah. I can't, you know. What if they know? You know, what if, what if we, uh, one of y'all did a Facebook post the other day and it was really funny. I think it was Ann about like, uh, someone came up to her and said, hey, tell me about this grace place. Did y'all see that one? It was funny. Tell me about this grace church. I've heard some sketchy things and I posted on there. I heard their pastor has a real sketchy past. <laughs> he does, I promise. It's sketchy. <laughs> what if? What if? What if that doesn't have to determine what's next? What if we believe that? Because I think for every single person in this room, that we, we can see sort of Paul's story in our story, and there will come a day when we will decide that our good is no longer really the best. Matter of fact, Paul looks back and says, what I thought was good, I now count as rubbish compared to the unsurpassing joy of, of knowing Jesus Christ. Like there will come a day in our life and we will say that what I thought was good is not best. And I believe for all of us, there will be someone who walks into your story, who loves you enough to see what the world can't see, who loves you enough to move towards you when the whole world moves away from you. And maybe you've already had that someone, so then maybe it's time for you to be that someone for someone else. Maybe you're willing to look past Maybe you're willing to look past the things that made you walk past before <laughs> and actually walk up to someone. And then, number three, you cannot live in your past forever. I love Uncle Rico, but <laughs> you can't be that guy forever. At some point, you must decide that my past does not determine my future. Paul even says, man, you've got to forget about it. And forget about it doesn't mean it's erased from your memory. It means you stop living under the yoke and the burden of it. You truly believe that the old is gone and the new has come. That's Paul. And I believe that's us. And so today, believe that there's better than you've ever experienced. Believe that you can walk across the room to that person and love them in a way that changes their life. And finally, believe this. That makes no difference for what's next. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.